Well, let me just once again welcome our guests that are with us. If you are new to fellowship, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And again, just hope and pray that you're blessed by being a part of our service. And I also hope that you have already just been uh, warmly welcomed and, and received uh, by, by uh, our, church, our church family here. We're just continue, continuing to be grateful and thankful to God for the way that he, uh, he brings people according to his sovereign plan. And so, again, we're thankful to have you with us. I'm going to be continuing in a series uh, in the book of Acts. We've been studying through this New Testament book uh, written uh, by, by Luke. And as we look at uh, today's, uh, today's passage, uh, the, the title that I, that I chose was uh, Surprised by Answered Prayer. And, and so the question that I want to bring to you right up, right up front is, has that ever happened to you? You know, have you, have you been praying about something and then found that you were actually surprised uh, that you received an answer for what it is that you were praying for. Let me illustrate quickly uh, what I mean. There, there was a drought in the land of several families of, of farmers and crops were failing, animals were weak and sick, and it was more than a year since there was rain in the land and the hot sun continued to shine and the land was dry and, and parched. And, and so the people decided to gather and, and pray outside in the fields. And they decided they would pray to the Lord to send rain and to send lots of it. And the day of prayer arrived and, and all of the people gathered in the field to pray. And they were all there, young and old. But one little girl stood out. She was there with something that no one else thought to bring an umbrella. And right before they began to pray, she opened the umbrella and stood under it. And the people smiled and laughed. And some even mentioned how cute she was to be doing that. And then they began to pray for rain. And isn't that somehow the way that we approach prayer? Sometimes we, we pray, but we don't really believe what we're praying for. You know, the people in that example thought it was so sweet of that little girl to bring an umbrella, but she just believed it would rain. And isn't that why they were there? They had gathered, but these people would actually have been surprised if God answered with rain and the little girl would not have been. And I think the same thing happens in our text for today. The church is gathered to pray. They're praying for Peter. But they're surprised when God actually answers. And, and so one of the things I'm going to be asking of you today is, and, and encouraging you towards is may the Lord give us all strong faith to believe. May we pray when we pray. May we pray with faith-filled prayers. So I'm going to pray and ask God to bless us and ask him to do a work in us before we look into his word together. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I, I will pray even now as we approach this with faith that you will do what it is you said you do. And that is to illuminate truth, speak your word and to change hearts and minds and to do the transforming work that you do. So Lord, we trust in you to do that. And I pray in your name for you to do that in, um, among the people that are here today. 
that they would hear truth, your word, and respond accordingly. We thank you so much, Lord, for your word, for the revelation of your truth, for the authority that it has in our lives. May you be praised and glorified through it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we left off with Peter's miraculous escape from the prison. God had set him free. The angel left him. And so the, kind, the scene that's kind of left is Peter's outside of the prison, and he's in the streets now. And he needs to get to safety, or what will happen is he'll probably be arrested again. And so Luke tells us that Peter goes to where the church is gathered to pray. That's what we see first. He goes to where the church is gathered to pray. You see that in verse 12. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, and where many were gathered and were praying. So again, he's free. He realizes he's free because remember, he was kind of in that, you know, just woke up kind of mode and an angel and chains falling and gates opening. So he's kind of like, what's happening? But he's awake now and he knows what's happened and he wonders, okay, where do I go? And he decides to go to the house of Mary. This is, this is Mary, the mother of John Mark. Uh, and the church has apparently gathered there before. So he goes to a place that he knows his, the, the gathering of the church has, has taken place before. And he goes there. And, and, and what we see here also is that Luke, our writer, is introducing us to John Mark. And, and, and he does so in a way as if we already know who he is. And the reason probably is because his first century audience that he's writing to already did know who he was. He is the writer of the gospel of Mark. And that may have already, he may have already been known for that at this time. And his mother, Mary, is involved in the church in Jerusalem and apparently is also well off financially. She lives in a house that's large enough for the church to gather She's using the blessing of her financial gain to bless the church. And she's being hospitable. She's opening her home to the fellowship of believers, which was actually a dangerous thing to do at that time. And notice also that Luke tells us many are gathered, many. And so there it is again. I keep mentioning this because I just feel like we need to really make sure we're understanding what the scripture says, but the church gathers, the ecclesia gathers, and they're gathering in a building, in this case, a home, a structure for the purpose of prayer and fellowship. And so many are praying, the many that are gathered are also praying. Now, Luke does not tell us explicitly that they're praying for Peter. But he certainly implies it. He certainly, he certainly has that in there. And, and maybe some of them are praying for his release. But maybe, maybe others are just praying for Peter to have strength. Maybe they're just praying for Peter to have courage. Maybe they're thinking of what happened to James. And they're saying, Lord, please just help Peter get through this. This is, this is going to be hard. This is going to be difficult. Please just give him strength and courage. All different kinds of prayers here being offered. And then Luke goes on and tells us that Peter arrives and the servant girl 
answers. Look at verse 13. So he gets to the house, knocks at the door of the gateway, and then the servant, Rhoda, comes to answer. She recognizes Peter's voice, but she was so happy and so joyful to hear that he was alive, she just opened the gate and ran in and then reported that he was standing at the gate. So, so when he gets to the outside gate, I want you to just have the right image in your mind. This is not the door to the inside of the house. This would really be more of an outside door or gate that most likely led to an outer courtyard. It might not have been very big, uh, the courtyard, but but something that was separating the, the door to the inside of the house from maybe the street. And so the servant girl, Rhoda, which is another indication of, of Mary and her status, that she has a servant girl working in the home. Rhoda goes to the gate to see who's there, which also tells us this is probably her role. This is probably one of the things she does as, as the servant in the home is, is and goes and answers the door and she recognizes Peter's voice. So they've gathered before, probably in that home, she knows who Peter is and in her joy and in her excitement, she didn't open the gate. She's so happy to hear that he's alive, but she forgets to let him in and just runs in, inside And she interrupts the prayer meeting. Because remember, they're gathered there to pray. And and so you think about the irony here. She is interrupting the praying for Peter to report that the answer to their prayer is standing outside the gate. I mean, what, what a situation, right? You're, you're gathering for prayer and you're asking God for something and he is answered. He's answered, but, but you're not responding to the answer. And that's what's going on here. And, and so you have this, 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 and the way Luke writes this, a lot of the, a lot of the commentators uh, that were writing about this are talking about how Luke almost wrote this with a little bit of a, of a flair for, uh, for being humorous. Like there's humor in this story that this is happening. And, and so Rhoda goes in and she probably says, you know, hey guys, I, I know you're all praying and I, I don't want to interrupt, but uh, I think God answered the prayer. Peter is standing outside right now. And so how do the people respond? Well, the people respond then to the news of, of, his, uh, of Peter's arrival in, in what Rhoda just said. Verse 15, they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. So the, the first response to her was, you're crazy, like you're insane. You're out of your mind. How, you know, why would you even think that, Rhoda? And, and you think about it, how could they respond like that? They were just praying. Like, you're having a prayer meeting. And, and, and you're praying for Peter. How do you go from, dear Lord, please help Peter, to Rhoda, you're crazy. But that's the transition they went, th- they went through here. And, and, and so this servant girl, the way Luke writes this, she did not back down. Even though they thought she was crazy, she insisted, no, I'm not. Peter is standing outside the gate. I know what I heard. It was him. I know his voice. It was definitely him. And then the people say, all right, well, you're insisting on that. Well, then it's his angel. 
It's not Peter, it's his angel. And it was common for some Jews who held a belief that each person had an angel assigned to them and that angel could take their form. Uh, meaning that, that, that could look like them, take the form and appearance of the human. And, and, and so some were saying, well, that, who, that's, that must be who it is. So now they're coming up with some really crazy explanations for what this could be, except the actual answer of what it is. So which is it? Is Rhoda crazy in making this up? Or is someone really there? And if it is his angel, as some of them are saying it is, then shouldn't they be checking into that? <laughs> you know, like that would be something you should probably go to the gate and find out about. And then we see here the way Luke writes this is their prayers are answered. Verse 16, Peter, in the meantime, it's like going back to the gate scene. He's knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. And then he motioned to them to be silent. And described what was happening. So in the meantime, as the people argue over who is really there, Peter begins to knock again on the gate. Now remember, you've got to remember what's happening. Peter is is not trying to draw attention to himself, right? He's trying not to get caught again. He has just escaped Herod's prison. He's, He's just escaped the guards the gate just flew open. He, he knows at some point people are going to come looking for him. And, and he's out in this public street trying to get past this outer gate to get inside where it's a little bit safer. And so he continues to knock as they're arguing about whether or not Rhoda's crazy or whether it's his angel. And so as he does, the people now go to the gate. And they opened it and they saw Peter. And they were amazed is what Luke Says, I think that's an understatement, wouldn't you say? They were amazed. Now, I want you to notice the order of what happened here. And this might come across as, as I do, it might, you might see that you've probably seen this similarity even in your own life. So here we go. Notice the order of what happened. First, they were told about the answer to prayer by Rhoda. They, they were told, but they did not believe the answer. What did they do? Well, they came up with their own explanation. And then they saw God's answer with their own eyes, and then they believed and were amazed. And all too many times, this is the same order for us. You know, we're, 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 there is an answer, and, and, and we may even realize that, that God is leading us to that and revealing that to us, but we don't believe. So we come up with our own explanations. Then we see the answer and then we believe and we're, and we're amazed. But as you look at that, did they really have to go through two, three, and four to get to five? Did they really have to do that? Did they have to go through two, three, and four to get to five? And what about us? What about you? Do we need to go through these same steps in order to get to belief and amazement? What a blessing it would have been if they would have believed without seeing. Right? Jesus said to Thomas in John chapter 20, have you believed because you have seen me? Because Thomas insisted 
on actually seeing Jesus with his, the risen Christ with his own eyes and actually touching him and putting his hands into the scars to see that it's really him. And what did Jesus say? Have you believed because you've seen? Is that why you're believing? Because you have seen? Well, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is faith. What is Jesus describing there? Faith. Faith, look at Hebrews 11 and you can see that definition of, of what faith is. It's, 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 being, it's being certain of what you do not see. It's being sure of what you hope for, of where your hope is. And so these people here did not believe they had to see. And then in the rest of the narrative, Peter has to motion for them to be silent. They're being too loud in the courtyard outside. It's causing him uh, some, you know, fear of being found. And so he's telling them to be quiet. And then he explained to them what happened to him, how the Lord rescued him about the chains falling off, the gate opening, the angel there, angel appearing, the angel disappearing. And then Peter instructs them, notice, to tell James. Now, this is not the same James that we read about earlier. This is now the half-brother of Jesus and the writer of the book of James. So this is a different James. And why did Peter instruct the people to tell James what happened? Why is that? Well, the reason is that James is essentially right here at this time. He is the pastor and leader of the Jerusalem church. And so this church, and that becomes a little bit more evident later in the book of Acts. And Peter, what he's doing is he wants the church leadership to know what happened to him. And he also wants them to know that he's leaving Jerusalem. He's getting out because it's going to get really unsafe for him and for anybody who knows where he is. And this is also significant. What I'm trying to do here as we're walking through this book is I've been trying to help you understand not only what the text is saying, which is, which is the expository part of what we're learning, but I'm also continuing to refer back to Luke, the writer, and what it is that he's conveying to us and why he's conveying that to us so that we have a good, not just understanding of what the text says, but we also have a good big picture hermeneutical view of what it is that he's doing. And so this is significant in what, P, in what Luke is doing because Luke is telling us now, he's making a shift in, in, in the role of Peter and his writing. Because this kind of marks the end of Peter being the central figure of Acts. He's going to reappear again. We'll, we see that, especially in chapter 15. But for the most part, Luke is shifting his emphasis now back to Saul and the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. And so that's, a, that's kind of also what's happening. And notice also that although Peter was rescued miraculously in the prison, this is something I think we, we forget sometimes. We, he, was, he was rescued miraculously in the prison, but notice that he has the wisdom and the discernment to leave Jerusalem. In other words, he should not expect the Lord to miraculously save him all the time out of every single situation. He needs to be wise, right? 
He needs to use discernment. And it's the same with us. So, you know, so many times we want, we just want God to do miracle after miracle after miracle. And God saying, well, I am giving you truth. I do, I have given you my spirit. And I do want you to follow his leading and to make wise decisions. And if you make wise decisions, maybe you won't need that miracle to be saved from. Now, in Peter's case, it wasn't the lack of a wise decision that put him in jail. But here, he leaves the city knowing this is the right thing to do. And he also knows that when the news of his escape is made known, it is going to bring great persecution on the Jerusalem church. And anybody who knows where he is is not going to be treated well. So it's better if they don't even know where he is or where where he will be going. And if you notice, Luke doesn't tell us that. Now, we're going to pick up with the text, the rest of this text, next week. Because it kind of takes, Luke takes a real shift here. Um, and we'll, we'll look at that next week. But what I want to do now is I want to draw some instruction from this text. And I think there's a lot here. Uh, instruction that we can apply to our lives, especially related to prayer. First, the first thing I want to say is we need to understand a foundational principle about prayer. Or a foundational principle of prayer. And it is this, prayer and faith are inextricably bonded together. Prayer and faith, you cannot pull these apart. Prayer is is an act of faith. So to pray to God is to engage in an action of faith. That's what you're doing. We cannot separate faith in God from prayer to God. You hear that? You cannot, you cannot pull apart faith in God from prayer to God. True prayer to God includes true faith in God. And when we pray, we must have faith. And to have faith is actually to know that we must pray. They kind of go together. The stronger your faith is in God, the more you're going to realize your need to be dependent on God and in prayer and that puts you on your knees or it puts you in a posture of prayer. So in this story, we saw that the church was praying, which is a good thing, right? The church gathered to pray. We're going to be doing that ourselves on the national day of prayer. And I hope you'll come and I invite you to come and be a part of that. But they're literally surprised when God answered the prayer. And James wrote something about that. And I found this very interesting. It's one of the great things about studying the book of Acts. So many characters are involved that wrote epistles that you can understand better some of what they wrote by understanding some of the narrative. Well, James wrote about this in his epistle. Peter, in this story, told the people, make sure to to tell James what happened. But then we read what James wrote in his letter, James 1, 6, and 7. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person, what person? Well, the person who doubts. That person must not suppose must not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord when you're approaching God with no faith in God. And it's interesting that James would write this because he is principally involved in this story. 
Maybe James had this situation in mind when he wrote this. Yeah, remember when they told me about what happened when Peter was freed? They were literally praying for him and didn't believe that God answered. So why does this happen to us? Why do we, why do we pray and then not have faith? Why, why then are we surprised by the answers to prayer? I wanted to give you some reasons that this happens to us. Reasons we pray with unbelief and doubt. First one is this. We are afraid the Lord will answer according to his will and not ours. Many times we pray with a lack of faith and belief because if we're being honest, and I'm going to ask you to be very honest with yourself, we are afraid the Lord will answer according to his will and not ours. Have you ever prayed for something and you know while you're praying, this is not really God's will for me. I know what I'm asking for. But I can sense this is not what he wants. Well, it's kind of hard to pray in faith when you're praying for something that you already know is not God's will for you. So if you're working in the business world and maybe you're part of the financial part of things and you're praying about whether or not you should keep something that's not yours when it comes to money. You, you know your answer already going in. It wouldn't be God's will for you to do that. And so sometimes what happens is we pray with unbelief and doubt. And it's not because we want to doubt, but we're afraid that what we're praying for is just not God's will for us. And we so want it to be God's will for us. So we're almost praying with faith in ourselves that will convince God. And we get scared, afraid sometimes when we pray, especially if it's something we really want and we don't think it's God's will. And I think that's one reason that we pray with unbelief and doubt is we're afraid the Lord will answer according to his will and not ours. And what we really want, if we get honest about it, is we want our will. Second, we're afraid the Lord will answer in his timing and not ours. This goes along with his will. But sometimes we pray with unbelief because we just don't trust God's timing. We need him to answer within a certain timeline. And we don't understand why he hasn't figured that out yet. Right? God, you know I have this going on. This, what I'm going, on, going through in life right now has a deadline. So I kind of need to know what you want me to do by the end of the week. Can you, could you meet that timeline? And actually you think, you sit back and you go, actually, God, you're, you're God. So like, you should have no problem with that short timeline. Like that timeline for you is nothing. And, and it's not that God is afraid of deadlines or short deadlines. Our God is not incapable. He is very capable but he has no interest in meeting our timeline just so that we can feel better about him or even ourselves. God has a timeline because he is the God over time. And here's, here's, what, here's what happens here. He knows what is best for you 
and he knows when is best. He knows what is best. He knows when is best. And here's the big question. Here's the question. Do we believe that or don't we? That's really the question. The question is never about, well, does God really know that? Or does God really know the best timing? That's not the question. He does, right? Amen. Amen. He knows. He knows. He knows the what. He knows the when. That's not the question. The question is, do we trust him? That's faith. That's faith. Third, another reason is we do not really believe the Father knows what we need before we even ask. We do not really believe the Father knows what we need before we even ask. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said that his Father already knows what we need before we even ask. Jesus said this. And I think sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we really don't believe this. I want you to think about this one. I really want you to think, let this one sink in. Your Father in heaven knows what you need. Let that sink in. He knows what you need. He knows it totally. He knows it completely. And he knows it before you ask. We do not inform God when we pray. Sometimes I think we approach prayer like, God, I need to let you know what's going on in my workplace. I know you've been busy. Lots happening in the world. But you need to see what's happening in my life right now. He knows but see, what Satan does is he, is, he, is he deceives us into thinking, you know, that we really do believe that when we don't. And that's the issue. We need to really believe that he knows what we need before we even ask. Have you ever prayed this way? You say, Father... I know you already know what I need before I ask because you've told me. Your word has told me. But I'm coming to you anyway because you have told me to. You have invited me into your presence. And I'm not sharing anything with you that you don't already know. But I'm bringing you my heart. I'm bringing you what is, on, what, what is a burden and on my heart. But Lord, I trust you with all of it because I know you know I know I'm not informing you I know you care I know I know that you love me and so I'm asking for your will and your timing that's a very different kind of prayer than going to God and going okay I've got about 10 minutes I really got to tell God all the things that I need from him today and you just start rattling them off God, I need this. God, I need this. Would you do this? Would you please do that and do that and do this and do that? So when you come to him, come to him knowing that this is true. Ask him to help you to believe that he knows what you need and that he has the power to give you what you need. But he also has the wisdom to know when to give it to you and when not to. There's a difference. You need to believe that God has the power to give you what you need, but he also has the wisdom to know when to give it to you and when not to. And we got to trust him with that. And the fourth reason, 
We lean on our own understanding and do not trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We're familiar with this from Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. This is especially important in prayer because too many times we approach prayer, and if we're really honest, we approach prayer really believing something. We really do know best. I mean, let's just be honest. We really do. Like, we think we do, right? We're like, I, I actually think I know what's best here. Think about it. Don't we do this? So we're praying, and we're asking the Lord to do what we want him to do. Why is that? Because we really believe deep down that that's what's best for us if he just does what we ask him for. And what we're saying without realizing it, and this is the trick uh, the deceit of Satan is we think we know better than he does. So we're not just leaning on our own understanding. Like we're throwing ourselves on our own understanding. I was thinking about this from a illustration <clears throat> standpoint. I was thinking, I just pictured in my mind like an in-ground pool of water representing our understanding, the water representing our understanding. We're we're not like leaning, losing our balance and falling into the pool. We're not like sticking our toe in. Like we're doing like outright cannonballs into the pool of our own understanding. And that's what happens. Do not lean on your own understanding. Instead, what you do is you trust in the Lord with all of your heart. So I want you to think about this question. I'm going to put up here on the screen for you to see. Do you really believe that God knows what you need more than you know what you need? I want you to just think about that. This is a very simple message today. There's not much difficulty in understanding it. It's just more the difficulty in applying it. I want to encourage you to trust and rest in God today. Do not lean on your, own under, on, on your own understanding. Instead, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. The reason we get surprised by answered prayer is because we're focused on our own understanding and not on the Lord. That's why it happens. These early Christians experienced a powerful miracle. Peter was rescued while they were praying. Amazing. They prayed and God answered, but they were yet surprised by it. Whatever it is you're praying for, which I know with this many people, there are a lot of needs being prayed for. Whatever it is that you're seeking the Lord for, know this, he knows what you need. And if you're praying for someone else, maybe that's the burden for you. You're like, pastor, it's, it's not so much me, it's someone else that I'm just so burdened for. He knows what they need too. So sometimes what we think is we've got to tell God what they need because he needs us to help him with that. And he doesn't. He knows. He knows. Your father knows. And he wants us to rest in that. Do not fear his will being done. Do not fear his timing. Trust him. Do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in him with all of your heart. Like I said, it's simple. Not difficult to comprehend, just difficult to do.
What I'd like to do is I want to give you today some time to pray right here where we're at. Just you and God. Nothing out loud, just you and God. So I want to ask you to do right now is just where you're at, just bow before God. And I'll ask you to close your eyes just so that you can be without distraction. And I'm going to lead you through some of this just to give you an opportunity to approach God this way. But ask, ask the Lord right now to help you trust him with all of your heart. And then ask him to strengthen your faith. And then confess that sometimes you pray with unbelief. And ask him, not just confess it, but ask him to forgive you for that. Now in faith, acknowledge to your father that he knows what you need. Acknowledge that to him. And he knows more than you know. Now ask him to help you take comfort in that. It's not just knowing it, it's taking comfort in it. Then whatever it is that you've been praying about, whatever burden you've been carrying, I want you to take time now to just give it to the Lord, to ask him to take it from you. Ask him for his will to be done and for it to be done in his timing. Use this time to bring those burdens to your Father through Christ for his glory.